Welcome, welcome all to the Pro Football Radio Podcast. This is your co-host, Jay Chino, with the pride and joy of Merrimack, New Hampshire, the Puma. What's up, brother? How, how are you doing, man? Um, I'm doing good, doing good. You know, glad to be uh, back on the pod recording this. You know, I was uh, running a little bit, you know, running a little late at work today. I was like, you know, we're, we're, we're getting this done. Let's go. I've been looking forward to this all week. Happy to be back. But how you doing, Jay? How's life in Columbus land? Oh, it's good, man. It's good. Uh, weather is actually surprisingly nice here. Um, it's, it's been 55, 50 degrees. It's not been like bitterly cold, so it's been nice. The problem is obviously the sun hasn't come on three days. That's always an issue. But mm. for the most part, it's it's just it's nice. I'm enjoying it. Uh, again, that getting ready for this uh, stretch of games coming up. We got about six weeks left in the regular season. It's just uh, it's trying to get amped up. And the game is starting to get better. And every single week now, there's a little lull there in the middle of the season where the games were kind of dying out a little bit. But now we're starting to see some pretty stacked games on a weekly basis. Yeah. How about you? You doing good over there in Shelton, man? Yeah, you know, living uh, living the dream. You know, about to start Christmas shopping pretty soon. So that's going to be a fun extravaganza at the uh, at the local mall. But, yeah, doing doing all right. Doing all right. Uh, are you one of those old school guys that, like, goes and does the shopping at the mall? Or do you do it online like most people do it nowadays? I'm kind of old school because, like, I, I like to get out and just do stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll, like, I'll go to the mall and get what I can. But, like, if I can't find something specific. Like, last year I got my dad this, uh, this portable car jumper slash air compressor thing which you could also plug different things in to like charge in case there was like a power outage okay like i couldn't find that in any store but like i got that on amazon and that's probably like been according to my dad the best gift he's gotten in the last five years so (laughs) uh yeah because he would always go to like the local gas station and like you know pay to use the air and it's like you know instead of paying like a buck fifty uh, I'll just get you this and you have all this stuff and they like to drive a lot. So it's like, all right, you have like a portable jumper too. Like, mm-hmm, okay, this mm-hmm. is perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen those. Those are actually like really nice, like, um, gift ideas because it, they just run off the electrical of the car. Correct. You can just like plug it in. Right. And yeah. So, I mean, not even that you can plug it into a wall outlet to charge ah. and it'll, I mean, I haven't charged this thing in like six months and I fired it up yesterday to use the air compressor for mm-hmm. the snow, uh, snow blower tire. Yeah. And it had like 60% left charge left in there. And like, you can pump car tires, snow blower tires, bike tires, you know, basketballs, whatever you want with it. I think we used that when I was out there. Remember, I think uh, my, uh-huh. my powers are a little low, and we used that. It worked pretty well. That's that's a great gift. Yeah, I, that little I, blue thing. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, that's good. I'm mm-hmm. glad. I'm glad the pops likes that gift. Um, okay, let's talk about some football. You ready for this, bro? Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about the New York Jets taking on the Buffalo Bills. A massive, massive game in the AFC East. Um, the last time these teams played, the New York Jets somehow won, regardless uh, because of obviously some of the interceptions that Josh Allen threw. So. The big news coming out of Buffalo this week is that Vaughn Miller is out for the year. He had an injury that came up against, I believe, what game was that now? Was it the Jets game? Uh, it was Detroit. It was two weeks Detroit. ago. Two weeks ago, he got injured. They thought he would be able to come back uh, in the next, I would say, what, six weeks. They put him on IR, but when they went in for surgery, looks like his ACL was also uh, uh, damaged as well, so they had to do that do that repair. So he's gone for the year, um, and that's going to be obviously a bummer for, for the Buffalo Bills' uh, run to the Super Bowl. So... You know, the Jets are coming off of a loss for Vikings, but they had a good showing. Um, looks like, uh, you know, for the most part, they kept it close. Mike White had some turnovers, and that kind of was the main reason they lost. But if you really look at that 
that game, Puma, against the Vikings, I was looking at the stats and looking at just the flow of the game when I was watching it. The Jets semi-dominated the Vikings. It was, like, really mm-hmm. weird. And one of the main reasons why the Vikings ended up winning was because, obviously, two turnovers by the Jets, but also the two for six in the red zone. The The Jets got down in the red zone. They moved the ball up and down the field, but they couldn't cash in, so they were two for six, and that's one of the main reasons they lost. And the Vikings, the other end, I believe, were three for three in the red zone. So when you have, you know, the, you lose the turnover battle and you can cash in the red zone, you're probably going to end up winning. But a lot of positive signs for that Jets team, um, obviously, coming out of the Vikings loss. However, obviously, you're going up to Buffalo, Orchard Park, hard place to play. The Buffalo Bills are going to start to make that push for the Super Bowl. They have the number one seed right now because Kansas City lost to the Bengals. I, I think it's going to be a hard ask for the for the New York Jets to go up there and pull this win out, out of their backside. So I got the Buffalo Bills winning this game. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I was talking with a couple of people off, you know, obviously off air uh, about the Vaughn Miller situation. <clears throat> and, I, I, you know, they were saying, oh, like Vaughn's out, like this defense is done. I was like, no. This defense is not done. I mean, if you, it's really going to come down to Russo staying healthy because he's missed a couple of games with injury or illness. Um, Ed, Ol- Ed Oliver is going to have to step up. Tremaine Edmonds is going to have to stay healthy as well, too, because th- this year he's been in and out of the lineup, too. You know, Matt Milano is going to have a bigger role as if he doesn't have a big enough role in this offense anyways. he could. There's an argument to be made that he could potentially be a dark horse candidate for defensive player of the year. But this defense is going to step up. It's going to have to step up. You know, the loss of Vaughn Miller, I think also, you know, with Tredavis White coming back and he was also playing more snaps last week against New England Patriots, you're going to see that snap count increase. I wouldn't be surprised if you see him play, you know, 100% of the snaps this week against the New York Jets. You know, uh, the last time these guys met, this was also the game where, you know, Josh Allen hurt his elbow. Mm -hmm. An argument could be made that not only does Buffalo play, you know, play down the competition, I I think they were just, you know, playing with their food at that point. Buffalo knows what's on the line now. I don't think they're, I think they're going to be, you know, straight laced and down to business. The point spread is at nine and a half uh, with Buffalo laying points. Take the points. I think that I was going to say, I'm betting wise, I'm going to wait and see if the Jets get up to 10 because the Bills have not really been blowing anyone out recently. And it comes down to the injury factor. I, I understand that. But I mean, if I had to bet this game now, I'm going to bet the Jets getting the points. I'm going to wait until it gets up to 10 uh, because I definitely think they can keep it within a 10 point game. Um, but. Uh, I, I got Buffalo winning this game. It's also nice to see James Cook have a bigger role in this offense because now we're starting to see why they took this kid, you know, in the second round last uh, last year in the draft. So uh, I, I like Buffalo here to get the win, uh, but I, I like the Jets to keep it close. I think the Jets cover the game, especially with Mike White, because mm-hmm. if this was Zach Wilson, yeah, I you know I would have laid the nine nine and a half points if I had to bet this game, but. You know, I said it last week, and I'm going to keep saying it. Mike White is kind of the AFC version of a Taylor Heineke, right? Where, like, everyone else is, like, elevating their play because of his moxie. And, Jake, correct me if I'm wrong if I'm off base. I feel like a lot of the red zone struggles with the Jets, I get came down to the interceptions. I just feel like Mike LaFleur kind of got a little too cute in the red zone. Like, I think there were a couple of times where – I mean, they were inside the five. They might have been even on the two. And, you know, Zonovan Knight didn't even get a sniff of the of the goal line. They kept trying to throw the ball in there. And it's just like, you know, let's not get cute here. Like, just punch it in, whether it's Mike White falling forward, Zonovan Knight falling forward. 
you know, a lineman falling forward for all I care. Like, let's not get too cute. Am I wrong in that assessment? No, or I, I think there's something there because let's be real. Mike White is obviously getting his second start this season. And it comes down to when I see an offensive coordinator go up and down the field and then they turtle up and change philosophies in the red zone, it tells me they don't trust their young quarterback just yet. And I get it. You don't have enough rapport with Mike White to feel free with, hey, I know exactly what this guy wants in the red zone. I know this is the place going to work. So you start to protect your quarterback. And usually that protection leads to some dumbass plays, right? You start doing mm-hmm. those reverses. Those reverses mean the ball goes back five yards before he even travels past the line of scrimmage. And that's what I saw coming out of of those red zone opportunities but other than that like they looked good like for the most part like that offense started to start it was humming for a while there Gary Wilson got involved your boy more he he finally showed up again I mean he was basically dead and buried for the longest time on the uh on the roster so I mean I, I get it there's gonna be some grown pains here and it's the worst time to go through grown pains when you're playing the Buffalo Bills with five weeks left to a playoff run but the problem is you just you were so late moving that making that move from Zach Wilson to Mike White that it, it's gonna be it, you're gonna have to go through some of these growing pains. And one more thing, I, I think I think if somehow Mike White takes off, and obviously we know the moniker for the Jets is take flight, I move that Mike Flight be the official nickname for Mike. Yes. White. Thoughts yes. On Thoughts on that. I co I co that. <laughs> Quick uh, Buffalo Bills point. I mean, we've been hammering this all year long, and this is when all of the, all the things we've been saying need to actually come to fruition because you got five weeks left, right? Buffalo, you got the number one seed right now. You can't you can't trip up now. The Jets are coming in this week. The Dolphins are coming in the, the week after that. The Bears, yeah, it could be an easy win, but then you got the Bengals again and the Patriots. So you got. Three out of five games are going to be fairly tough to win. You can't trip up now because the people that you're going up against, the Chiefs, those guys have an easy kick schedule down the stretch. They've got the Broncos, the Texans, the Seahawks, Broncos, and Raiders. So, I mean, those are some fairly easy wins there, in my opinion, for the Chiefs. So, you've got to come through and get that number one seed to force Kansas City to come up to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Now, real quick, just to talk about that Bills-Fins uh, game from, I guess, like a betting perspective. Jay, if you had to make that line now, is that is Buffalo laying more than a touchdown? Because I think I think it's I think they're laying six. I don't think it's more than a touch. I don't think it's more than that. Well, it depends on how the the, the Dolphins look this week against the Chargers, right? Because I mean, coming off of last week, like it's so funny how the narrative swings so erratically, right? Like Tua all year long for the most part has been great. He has. One bad game against probably the best defense, probably mm-hmm. the hardest defense he's going to have to play until the Super Bowl if he's a, if he faces the 49ers again. And now all of a sudden, like, the Miami Dolphins are getting disrespected and Tua's trash and blah, 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 blah. So, like, if he has another kind of, another kind of performance where he doesn't look, uh, you know, elite or great like he was, then, yeah, that line could be a, a towards to seven points. But if they look good, I wouldn't be shocked if that gets down to, like, a 4-5 range as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can buy that. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the eleven and one Philadelphia Eagles taking on the seven four and one New York Giants. Puma, am I crazy to think that I'm not buying into the Philadelphia Eagles? Like, I I know, I know, I know. They're they're okay. they're, they're great. Go they're, expand on that, they're, Jay. They're awesome, right? Um, they look great on defense, on offense. Uh, they just came off a drubbing. Of the Tennessee Titans, a game that was so lopsided that they, the Titans had to fight a general manager yesterday. 
And and I get it that Jalen Hurts has played really well as of late. I just for some reason, Puma, there's something there. There's a block for me that is nagging, saying that hey man, a, a primarily running quarterback is not going to win a Super Bowl for you. And I'm not saying uh, when I say buying in, I'm buying in. They're a good football team. Eleven one means they're a great football team, and they're going to be the Giants this week. It's not about that. They're going to steamroll the Giants. The Giants are coming undone, and we'll hit on in a second, but. For some reason, there's something there about Jalen Hurst that I don't like. Maybe it's the way he throws. I think maybe for me, uh, the the way he throws, it's not as bad as Tebow, but it's very herky-jerky. Like, it's not a smooth release. It's not a smooth wind-up. The way he comes over on top of the ball, it, it just looks weird to me. Uh, and I think that's why I'm not buying it. Am I crazy or should I should I just go ahead and give in? I I think there's some merit mm-hmm. to the argument that you're trying to lay out. I, I think at this point, uh, I, I'm just gonna just gonna you know buy in type of deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think you know Sirianni for as you know his moments in his first year as a head coach has really turned things around, and you know he's got a dynamic offense in the Philadelphia Eagles, and I mean he's got a dynamic you know roster from top to bottom. Granted. Robert Quinn, the guy they just acquired uh, via trade before the deadline uh, from the Chicago Bears, uh, he's going on injured reserve with the knee injury. So that's it's going to be a, a decent blow uh, to to the defense, considering how many sacks he came in uh, to the Eagles with uh, when he got traded from the Bears. I think it was close to was he he was un, I know he's under ten, but I think he was around like eight sacks. He was he was up there. He was getting after after the quarterback, uh, but. I, I, I'm buying into the Eagles team as much as it pains me to say I'm buying into anything related to Philadelphia. But, I mean, I, I, I think Sirianni is going to come up with ways, kind of in a way of like what Kyle Shanahan does in his system, to come up with ways to, you know, put the quarterback in, you know, positions to be successful. I mean, we saw that with Brock Purdy last week. And, you know, I think that's more of a testament to the system more than, you know, hey, Mr. Irrelevant is just shocking people with the talent type of deal. I didn't think there was that much of a drop-off from him to, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo per se. But, you know, long story short, I, I, I like what I've seen out of Jalen Hurts. I think at this point he's a clear front runner for MVP at this point uh, in the league. Uh, there really isn't a whole lot to say about the Giants. Um, and this is honestly, it kind of sucks because this is the first time we've talked about the Giants and they're like on a three-game losing streak. Um, but, I mean, this year, I think we can all agree they were, you know, kind of punching above their weight class considering what they were dealing with, with the roster, with the salary cap and construction like that. Um, I was telling your brother, you know, we have an extensive group chat, oh, me, Jesus you, Christ. your brother and sister. Uh, I was telling your bro that, you know, the Giants are a great story this year. I'm not taking anything away from them. I just feel like the New York Giants are about a year or two ahead of schedule. And, you know, you're, you know, everyone says about – you know, Vanilla Vic, or you know, oh, my, my case, I call, him, I, call him, <laughs> I call him, I call him James. You know, Weymus Jones. Uh, he has cut down on the turnovers, but let's pop the brakes. He is not a you know top flight quarterback in the league. I I put him in the top fifteen, I guess. But I, I mean, they they are winning. They're kind of coming up with different ways to win. The defense has been good, but you know they've been banged up the last couple of weeks. There just isn't any skill position players outside of Saquon Barkley to inspire confidence unless you're going to run the hell out of Daniel Jones. Uh, depending on what book you're looking at, the Eagles have been floating around, laying six and a half to laying seven points. Uh, I got the Eagles minus six and a half yesterday. That's one of my best bets inside of a touchdown. Um, I think the Eagles win. I'm fairly confident they're going to cover the six and a half, but 
you know, the Giants have been cagey this season, and Brian Dayball is that dude that I, I think I, – I would not be surprised if the Giants found another way to get a backdoor cover like they did against Dallas on Thanksgiving. All right, so here's here's my take on Daniel Jones, and, and me and my brother, we've been going back and forth for, for a few weeks now. And Daniel Jones – A few weeks, Jay, all season. Uh, yeah, all season, seriously, right? But here's the thing with Daniel Jones, right? At some point, as an NFL quarterback, you've got to suck it up and make it happen, right? So the way I was painting this picture to my brother was he was trying to come at me with the argument that, listen, man, I bet you, you know, it's it's, it's, it's so bad that, like, you know, we have so many drop passes with the wide receivers. We have practice qual players. That's his favorite saying, right? Like, so many drop passes. And I'm like, all right, fine. Let's look at the stats, right? Do you realize that the Giants are, are obviously number six in drop passes, but in front of them, there's people like Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs drop passes, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers drop passes, um, Green Bay Packers and drop passes are number three, uh, Chargers are up there. On top of that, he then you know like it's one of those things where like all these quarterbacks out there are are not going to have perfect situations. Like you're going to mm-hmm. have drop passes, you're going to have bad coaching, you're going to have a bad old line. At some point, you got to shut up and make it happen. And the truly elite ones, the, the Tom Brady's, the Patrick Mahomes, those guys can overcome all of it. And Daniel Jones is not an overcome all of it dude. He's basically a hey, let's just keep the train on the tracks and let's not freak at this up. Like he was effing it up last year when he was turning the ball over left and right, and Brian Dayball has cleaned up a lot of it. But he's nowhere near being a, a top like quarterback in this NFL, right? Another thing mm-hmm. that people seem to forget is Puma. Do you know who has the thirty first ranked offensive line in the NFL? It's your team and Tua. Mm-hmm. You know who has the twenty fourth ranked offensive line in the NFL? It's Joe Burrow. So like there, there's there's a lot there. I get it. The first thing we do when when a quarterback is not playing well that we like, and this is key, when you like a quarterback. You'll start making excuses for him, whether it's offensive coordinator, line, drop passes, blah, blah, blah. But at some point, if you're going to be of something in this NFL, you're going to have to essentially make it happen. Does that make sense? No, it does. I mean, you know, it's it's a great point about the, you know, comparing it to the Dolphins. Because honestly, and I know we're going to get to the Dolphins in a minute here. Honestly, I feel like if Tua won on the road in San Francisco, whether it was against Jimmy Garoppolo or Brock Purdy, with how good that defense is for the 49ers, I think there's a legit argument you could make for Tua to be you know, top three in the MVP conversation, mm-hmm. considering the type of year he he's had. And I get he's got weapons, but the big thing is the offensive line even from last year, uh, has almost gotten him killed a couple of times. And we, we talked about this last week offline uh, when, you know, Teron Armstead was out because of a pec strain. And then Austin Jackson was out uh, because I think it was like an illness of some sort. And, you know, it's pretty bad when, you know, Austin Jackson is, in my opinion, is the biggest turnstile in the league. It was a massive reach taking him in the first round uh, two years ago out of USC as a developmental project. Uh, for the offensive line. But, like, Tua is overcoming that. And Tua does not have the mobility that Daniel Jones has. So, like, you can overcome a weak offensive line with the athleticism and mobility that Daniel Jones has. I I, I mean, I'd like to think I'm correct in saying DJ has more mobility and playmaking ability on his feet compared to Tua. Am I right? Or am I making that up in my mind? If he can run in a straight line and not fall over, yeah, of course then he does, right? But Yeah. But the thing is, Puma, like, even before having Tyreek and Jalen Waddle and Mike McDaniel, 
Tua still had a winning record in the NFL. Everything mm-hmm. going wrong in Miami. His coach hating him and trying to get him, getting him sent out the door for Deshaun Watson. He still won. Like he just made it happen. And with Daniel Jones, like I was, you know, I was talking to my brother about this. Like, you know, he's got. I, I get it. He's cleaned it up this year, and he's basically just babying the offense. They're not asking him to do much. They don't have much trust in him. They're not asking him to throw a lot. But can you point to one big career-defining throw or game or play from Daniel Jones? Can you? Like, I can honestly sit back and be like, oh, Tua had like three this year. And like, uh, Josh Allen went into Arrowhead last year and basically torched the building. And the only reason he lost was because of a coin flip or Joe Burrow's big throw against the AFC Championship game. Can you point to one, like one single game play or whatever throw from Daniel Jones? They're like, you know what? Oh, that kid's got it. I mean, this season, not really in his entire career. I mean, Jay, I think the only one I can think of is when he started against Tampa. I remember that, yeah. His second year, his second game, right? And everybody, I remember it was a Pat Shermer came on afterwards and he was basically talking tough. I remember that, yeah. But, Mm -hmm. like, is is that enough to sustain who Daniel Jones is as a future? And, like, he's not going to be there next year. In In my humble opinion, I think there's a reason why Brian Dayball decided not to give him and pick up the fifth year extension, fifth year option, um, and, and I think he's not he's not going to be there next year. They're probably going to look for other other solutions. Right. Well, I mean, the free agency class uh, is Trubisky better than DJ? I, mean, I don't it's a think wash. so. It's a wash. You know, I mean, when it comes to like the free agency market, you might as well just, you know, here's the thing. I think this is what I think how the offseason is going to play out. I think they're going to franchise tag Saquon. Because I don't, re- I don't really think they're gonna back the Brinks truck up just yet. Uh, for Saquon Barkley, you know, I know, no disrespect to him, he's one of the best in the game right now, especially when he's healthy. But I think they're going to franchise tag him. Maybe they do like a two-year bridge deal. Maybe they for for DJ. Maybe they hit, you know, they hit him with the transition tag, where if a team wants to get him, they have to, you know, part with a with a certain type of draft pick whether it's a first or a second I, I think it kind of depends on what the position is and the market and all that stuff but I mean I think I would not be surprised if DJ is back in in you know New York or you know in big blue um, I just don't know if it's going to be whether or not they're going to do like a band-aid two-year bridge deal type of thing or if they're going to hit him with the transition tag yeah. because I don't think there's any free agent quarterback that's better than him right now as yeah. as messed up as it sounds yeah, that's, that's a solid point. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, like, I wouldn't want to, like, build long-term around Daniel Jones. I, I guess you can bring him back next year and kind of band-aid it up for another year to figure out what your situation is. Maybe they go after a quarterback in the draft, and maybe they use a year of Daniel Jones to develop the quarterback or whatever it is. Uh, I just don't think the long-term solution is going to be Daniel Jones in New York. Uh, he simply hasn't shown right. enough to, to merit that. I mean, it's been, what, three years now, four years, whatever it is, and we're still talking about, oh, my God, if he had this, this, and this right. Like, at some point, it's you, bro. It's you. Like, I'm coming to the realization about that with Justin Herbert, and we'll talk about that here soon. And this dude can't, my brother can't even understand that about Daniel Jones. You feel me? Like, it's, at some point, it's not everything around you. Maybe it's you. Right. And, I mean, right now, if the draft was, you know, today, the Giants are picking 23rd. Like, I don't know what what kind of quarterback you're going to get in the, you know, middle tier of the first round. Granted, you know, that's probably a discussion for like college football, a little segment later, but like, is 
there really is any no. for is are there no. any real you know outside of CJ Stroud and you know and, and Bryce Young like a slam dunk first round pick or are we going to see a little bit more of last year where these guys are going to be falling into the second and third because I feel like if if that's the case you're reaching if you're taking them in the middle of the first round here's a quick 30 seconds on college football draft for next year you've got two solid prospects and Bryce Young and CJ Stroud both have their issues but they're the most solid out of the whole group. Then you've got a bunch of developmental guys, in my opinion. You've got a bunch of guys mm-hmm. that don't have it all, whether they have big big bodies and lack of intangibles or great intangibles and weak arms, whatever it is, right? You've got the the Will Levises, Anthony Richardson, Michael Panix Jr., Hendon Hooker, who got hurt at the end of the Tennessee game, which is awful for him. But you've got a bunch of guys in there that aren't going to be ready day one. You're going to have to probably invest a year or two into them before they can be big. Now, now I do think a couple of those guys in there, especially Michael Penix Jr. and Hendon Hooker, I think those two um, could have potential to be massive. They throw the ball so effortlessly, and they've got some some great leadership qualities to them that I really like, but they're going to need time and investment before you can make a determination on their on their um, NFL careers. Right. Are you going to, burn, are you going to use the first round draft pick on them? And what are you gonna do? Like, simply put, this game isn't is the NF is the quarterback game. Like, what are you gonna do, Brian Day? Well, are you gonna keep putting a bandit on it with, with Daniel Jones every year? He's not gonna get you the promised land. Like, are you just happy mm-hmm. contending? Like, that's a I guess that's a question for ownership and where they want to steer the conversation with with Daniel Jones and the Giants. But if you're really in it to win a title, you're not gonna do it with Daniel Jones. Simple as that. And I'm glad you brought up the ownership part because. I feel like, and we saw it with Eli, with like the amount of loyalty they uh-huh, have, and uh-huh. it was because of the man, the Manning name and the two Super Bowls type of deal. I just feel like I know Dayball has, you know, kind of, you know, washed himself clean or separated himself from like what the old regime was doing with like the yes men of Dave Gettleman and and you know Shermer, you know, kind of being a bunch of yes men type of de- type of dudes. I just don't know if he's going to have enough. You know, carbonch to let's put it that way to say to ownership to the tissues and into the maras, DJ's not it, and I'm not putting my caboose. You know, I'm not I'm not hitching my caboose to this to this train here. Like yeah. we're gonna go a different route. I just don't know if they're willing to put that aside, especially because if you know you go back into the history of, you know, uh, Daniel Jones, he was uh, you know a Cutcliffe guy and you know out of Duke, and Cutcliffe was. You know, I think he was the head coach uh, of Eli Manning, or he's got ties to the Manning family somehow. Yeah, basically, the Mannings vouched for him, and that's why they drafted him. Simply put, the Mannings right. were like, hey, we trust this guy, draft him. And that's what they did. They blindly just picked that guy because the Manning said so. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's, we we're going to have another instance of that with the, with the Daniel Jones uh you know vote of confidence from ownership. All right, Puma, enough talk about trash quarterbacks, okay? Let's talk yep. about a real quarterback matchup. Man, the battle of the QBs we've all been waiting for. Sunday night football. 820. I will promise you I'm in front of the TV watching this game. Oh, Miami yeah. Dolphins, 8-4, and four, traveling to L.A. to take on the Chargers. Quick note, did they stay in the, on the West Coast or did they come back home to Miami? I was going to ask you the same thing. I feel like McDaniel is smart enough to keep them on the West Coast somewhere, mm-hmm. but I can't confirm that. I haven't seen anything. Well, I, I saw a clip of McDaniel today, and usually we see him talking at the podium. He wasn't at a podium. It was like a makeshift, like, weird angle. So maybe he wasn't uh, back home in Miami. So we'll look into that. But listen, Puma, I know this is your job to talk about this game. Your Dolphins are rolling. They're looking good, even though they came off a loss against the 49ers. How you feeling about this game, brother? 
I'm feeling good. I'm feeling about as where I was against the San Francisco 49ers. I, I still have a lot of you know f- hope and faith in this team. And you know this this league has been weird this year, right? I mean, there's it's not a guarantee that the Bills are going to win at home against the Jets. And if they lose against the New York Jets, you know, and you know Buffalo wins, and I mean uh, Miami wins, I think they would still be in first place, followed by the New York Jets and then the Buffalo Bills potentially, just because of how the, the division tiebreakers work. But I, uh, I still have the same feeling as I did last week. And, and honestly, let's let's just keep it real here. I know the, you know, if you just looked at the box score last week, you would say, oh, you know, San Francisco just dominated the whole game and, you know, blew the doors off the off the Dolphins. They were in, within the game. They were within six points up until the last six-ish minutes. And then, you know, the next thing you know, uh, I think Tua threw a pick uh, that led to a scoring drive. Um, and then he got sacked and that's where he, you know, he rolled up his ankle and the, it was a scoop and score. So that's where you got the, the offense, uh, from the 49ers down the stretch. And, you know, let's be honest, I don't want to pick up my man, Xavier Howard, but one of those scoring drives, uh, by the 49ers going into halftime was aided by him with the, you know, a boneheaded illegal contact play, uh, that gave him free real estate that led to a touchdown. Um, but I, I'm still high on this. Hopefully Teron Armstead, uh, he was to give it a go last week with the pec strain he might be able to go this week against the chargers uh i never thought i'd be saying i want austin jackson back in that lineup but i mean if he's the better option on the offensive line then you know so be it we're going to need all hands on deck because you have joey bosa and you have you know khalil mack out there like there's there are still playmakers on the defensive line for the la Chargers that could make life a little bit interesting but I just feel no disrespect to the the Chargers secondary here. I just don't really see anyone keeping up with Tyreek Hill and and Jalen Waddle. But Waddle is something to monitor because he is questionable for this game as of right now with a with a lower leg injury. Um, but I got this. Uh, the Dolphins, depending on what book you're looking at, they are. I want to say they are a three and a half to th- you know three three and a half point favorite, uh, depending on what book you're looking at here. I, I like the Dolphins to win. I like the Dolphins to actually cover this number as well too. And you know, I know we harp on it every time we talk about the Chargers, Jay, but. I just have no faith in Brandon Staley not, you know, not finding a way to lose this game. I think he's just going to find a way to derail it. Um, you know, they started to open up the offense a little bit and let, you know, Justin Herbert throw the ball more than 10 yards down the field you know, last week. But I, I just don't have a whole lot of faith. And I think this, you know, the Dolphins are going to be well represented in, in L.A. this week. They're, they travel well as a team. I think you're going to see a little a lot of aqua in that in those stands. Um, but I'll lay the points with the Dolphins. I just I don't have any confidence in the Chargers, and uh, I I just can't wait for Monday when the Dolphins win to not finally put the Tua versus Herbert comparison to bed and who you know where the Dolphins should have drafted you know should they have drafted Herbert or drafted Tua? I just I can't I can't wait to see all those talking heads. You know, shout out Mina Kimes uh, for the comparisons of oh you should have taken Herbert. No, well, Puma, you want to hear something crazy? Yeah, I'm on board. I, you, yeah, I, yeah. I have. You're no... going against your boy, well, Puma. I, I am just obviously uh, a, a beacon of uh, integrity over here. Listen, all I can go off of is what I see. I don't have any agendas. Like, I mean, maybe I have one agenda, and that's Brady. Actually, two agendas. Belcher getting fired, but besides that, like, 
I, I can't I can't sit here and like logically tell you that Tua is is somehow inferior to Justin Herbert. Like the guy wins. Obviously, I get it. We don't like his package. He's small, throws with, with the the wrong hand. It doesn't look appeasing to us. We're not used to it. But the guy just simply wins. Like he he is eight and one in games he started and finished this year. He had a winning record last year and amid all that chaos with with Brian uh, Flores. So like. I can't sit here and, 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 like, lie anymore, especially with watching the Raiders and Chargers. Do you know how that game started? The game started how? with a defensive score for for the Chargers, right? So 7-0. And then the defense also set them up in a way where they got another three points. So the Chargers defense handed a 10-0 lead to the Chargers offense, and they still lost that game. Like, <laughs> I, I don't understand how, and maybe this is a bigger conversation with Brandon Staley, that uh, maybe he's causing a regression of... Of, of Justin Herbert, but I'm going to go ahead and just not even use that as a crutch. I'm going to be real about it. I think there's something missing when it comes to the mental makeup and intangibles of Justin Herbert. There was mm. the only knock of him coming out of college was the fact that he was a little too mechanical, a little too cold. Um, he wasn't really a raw, like you don't have to be a raw, raw leadership guy, but you've got to have some balls to you, right? And he had none of that. And it kind of shows in his game, doesn't it? Like, when you ask him for these big moments, what do you remember against that Chiefs game, or that, uh, what was that game on Sunday Football? The 49ers. You got the ball back, uh, minute 53, three touchdowns, three timeouts. He throws an interception in the game. Uh, yesterday, yep. you've got 10-0 lead. Um, you're going to beat the Raiders. You're going to supplant yourself into the playoff picture. You crap yourself down, down, down your leg. And I get it. There's bigger pictures, bigger issues with Brandon Staley. And that defense, but at some point we've got to come to terms about who Justin Herbert is and who he isn't. Now, Brennan Staley, I think he's coaching for his job on Sunday Night Football because oh, if he yeah. loses this game, if he loses this game, and he loses it the way he's been losing it, with obviously you know regression of Justin Herbert and the defense playing spotty for most of the year, but mostly the defense has been bad. Then I, as a GM and the and the owner, sit down on Monday morning and have a conversation about Brennan Staley. I started looking at the market, seeing who's available. Because the guy is pure, purely clueless out there. Like, the one thing you must do as a head coach when you come into a new job is you've got to fix your side of the football. So if you're a defensive guy, you got to come in. Within a year, you got to fix that. It's been two years now, and the defense still is trash. It is absolutely trash. And now it's looking more and more. The only reason he was great in, in, uh, in L.A. with the Rams as a defensive coordinator was because of Aaron Donald. Like, when you have Aaron Donald, of course it's easy to win as a defensive unit. You feel me? So, like, I would seriously have a conversation about Brandon Staley if he loses this game. And truthfully, I think they will. I think this team right now is reeling. I think the fact that there's something disjointed on offense, everybody's not on the same page, and I think the Miami Dolphins are going to shock everybody and pull out a win on, on Sunday Night Football. Yeah, I think they're going to win. I think they're a very live, <clears throat> a very live, uh, you know, road favorite here. It's, it's so weird because, like, the Chargers, yeah, they have a – it's a home game, but, like – they Nobody never cares. have a home Nobody field advantage. Cares. Nobody cares. Yeah. Like it's it's kind of I I you know what's messed up is like I feel like the Raiders, you know Vegas being the ultimate destination city, right? I feel like the Raiders have a better you know home fan turnout than the Chargers do, and and you know the Chargers play in Los Angeles, and you know they play in Inglewood. Let's let's be honest here, um, but. Uh, I just, I, I, this thing, it's always been like on paper, 
these guys were, you know, supposed to be the upper echelon of the AFC. And, uh, you know, you were looking at the preseason odds. And, I mean, the Chargers were, like, in the top five to win the Super Bowl. And it's like they've never even won, like, division. They never – I mean, they haven't even made a playoff. Like, h- how their top five is beyond me. And there's just so much smoke around, you know, whether or not Sean Payton is going to come back. And this is one of his destinations to work with a quarterback like Justin Herbert. And if that's the case, like, watch out for this offense, barring – barring whether or not you know uh keenan allen's hamstring will stay together for more than two games and you know mike williams not getting hurt um you know that would definitely be something to keep an eye out for for next season um but no give me the dolphins all day uh in this in this matchup here and i just want to clean up something real quick um let's say the buff the buffalo bills do lose uh, they'll be tied with the Dolphins, assuming the Dolphins win this week. They'll be tied at 9-4, and four, but Miami would be first because they hold the tiebreaker over the Bills. So I just wanted to clean that up real quick. All right, let's move on to a game that pains me to talk about. Woo-wee! Monday Night Football, the New England Patriots taking on the Arizona Cardinals. The Patriots are coming off of a drubbing on uh, was it Thursday Night Football against the Bills. Uh, pretty lifeless, bad game for the most part. But Puma, there's, there's a lot to unfold here, right? Um, in theory, the Patriots should go in and beat this Arizona Cardinals team. The Patriots are six and six. The Cardinals are four and eight, and the Cardinals, by all accounts, are on a path to basically blow the, blow the franchise up. They're probably going to fire the the head coach at the end of the year. Um, that offense itself is disjointed and out of sync. Um, the one thing I noticed about the Cardinals was the fact that. Kyler Murray does a lot of this like high school backyard BS where he runs around and him doing all that stuff puts the offense out of sync. And like he doesn't understand mm-hmm. that he's doing it and he's yelling at uh, Cliff Kingsbury, but he's the main cause of it. But but this is not a Cardinals debate. This is a more of a New England Patriots um, topic. And I'll put one, there's been a lot of conversation this week in Boston after such a bad performance against the Buffalo Bills. What has happened to this one proud franchise, Puma? The once proud, vaunted New England Patriots, six Super Bowls in 20 years, beacon of excellence, got beat down and embarrassed by the Buffalo Bills. So bad so that you quit. I One of the guys on Boston Radio made a great point that we didn't like, you know, understand at the moment, but Sean, McMur- Sean McDermott and the Bills beat the Patriots and Bill Belichick down to submission and they gave up. How sad is that? Sad. Considering everyone thought that, you know, Bill lived rent-free in Sean McDermott's head. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He got outcoached. Yeah. Twice. And, and, I mean, we've, like, there's so much here that I don't even know where to start with. But, like, I mean, we begin with Mac Jones playing bad. He's regressed. You know, year two, he looks absolutely horrid. Matt Patricia looks like he is waiting over his, over his head as the offensive coordinator. But all this has to point back to Bill Belichick. What he's done to this organization is criminal. He is now 23-23 and 23 and even 500 since Bill Belichick, since uh, Tom Brady left New England. And when you factor in his losing record with Cleveland, he is way under 500 as a head coach. He's just another average coach without Tom Brady. And mm. I thought th- three years in Puma, like we would be at a, at a better spot, but it's not getting better. It, it's regressing. We're going the wrong way. And, and I don't understand how that's possible with the quote-unquote greatest coach of all time. You want you want to know how it's possible? Because I'll tell you how it's possible. How you surround yourself with you know nonsensical yes men because you don't want to pay anybody at the offensive coordinator position or whatever. If you were to say, if people were to say, "Hey, Matt Patricia's back on this team as a de facto defensive coordinator," I don't think anyone would really bat an eye, right? Mm-hmm. Like for everything that Matt Patricia was 
as a head coach with the Detroit Lions. I think we can all admit he was a decent coach. He was a good coach on the defensive side of the football, right? Would, would you bat an eye if it, if it came out that Matt Patricia was the, was the uh, defensive coordinator for the New England Patriots? Nope, I'd be happy they took uh, Belichick's kid out of their room. Yep. But no, like you you, so you get these guys, uh, him and Joe Judge, to to be the offensive coordinator without giving them the title because you you know you're cheap and you want to save the money for your own budget type of deal. But I mean, it, it, Jay, I know we've said it a couple of weeks ago, but like after this game, there was just so much chirping coming out of the locker room, mm-hmm. and you know Mac Jones has this, I, I guess oh, you could say, tact or gift of taking shots in the media but then like walking it back in a way where it doesn't really come off as a shot unless like you're really listening to it or if you're entrenched in the market like these beat reporters are like you are uh but i mean he he has a habit of taking shots at at matt patricia but it's you know you have other players that are taking shots after the game with confusion and it's like you know it's the kendrick Bournes who's 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 had a couple of gripes this season but like then Devontae Parker is saying something, and he he got here via trade for pretty much an Arby's gift card from the Miami Dolphins, and even he was saying there was you know there was confusion. We didn't understand why we were doing everything underneath when we need to push the ball down the field to move the ball down the field. Hey Jay, I, I said it a couple of weeks ago, and I'll say it again. Jonas Gray got released for far less. What is going on in this locker room in Foxborough? Like, I've never seen this before. Well, I mean, like, we had this conversation many times, Puma, and the culture itself, the Patriot way, is dead. It's a fallacy. It's farce. Uh, the Patriot way was simply, Brady's going to get on our asses, and if we don't get to the level of Brady, he's going to chew us out. That's simply what it was. It simply was that. And even if you didn't get to the level of Brady, you didn't put in that effort, and you made all these mistakes, and you didn't run the right route, and you basically held your you know, your offensive lineman, you held and you got penalties, it didn't matter, because Brady was going to drive you down at the end of the game, like he did a couple nights ago, on Monday night football he's going to win that game for you everything we've known of the Patriots organization for the past 20 years is a farce it's a fallacy and the worst part is this is the worst part this is what annoys me the most at the end of the day Bill Belichick said before the season started it's all on me right he said mm-hmm. you know it's on me like if it doesn't work out it's on me the problem is what does that mean that means absolutely nothing it, it, you can't hold this man accountable if I was to ask you Puma, how do you hold him accountable what is that people love saying that people love saying we got to hold Bill Belichick accountable. How? What are you going to make him do? Seriously, what are you going to make him do? You're going to ask him to change his coaching staff? He's going to laugh in your face. The man had 20 years of basically unchecked power in New England, and now you're going to tell him to make ch- ch- changes on the coaching staff? So, like, like it's it's a beautiful saying, accountability, and we're going to we're gonna make sure that, you know, he understands what he did wrong. You're not going to do jack shit. You're not going to do jack shit because he has the Patriots organization by the balls. He has craft by the balls. And it's mostly mm-hmm. on craft for letting this this mad dog run loose on the Patriots organization. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know I, I've said it a lot, but, like, I mean, with – I just – you you heard you heard in the off season at the owners meetings uh, in like February and March where Bob Kraft was on record saying this season we have to win a playoff game I'm tired of losing in the playoffs uh, you know we haven't won a playoff game in three or four years you know we need to change that we all viewed that as a veil you know Bill the clock is ticking type of deal and Bill Belichick right after hires you know Tweedledee and Tweedledum as offensive coordinators I mean. 
Jay, I know we I know we say it, and you're absolutely spot on about Bill holding the 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 franchise hostage in a sense. But like at some point, there has to be like you know the rubber meets the road. Either you, we're going to change our offensive philosophy, or hey, maybe we're going to get an actual GM and kind of neuter you and your free agency. He would because walk. look, he would walk in a heartbeat. But you know that. what, Jay? What, at, at this point, though, like. I, I don't even like is is starting with a new head coach like that bad of a nope. proposition? Let's do it. You know what I mean? Like at some point, like he, you're gonna have to rip the bandaid off, and and, and you know this was years ago. Maybe uh, clearly he's changed his his sense on things, but like he was he was on records he didn't want to be like Marv Levy coaching on the sidelines in his 80s, and I mean he's getting pretty goddamn close. Um, you know. Maybe it comes out as Bill retires, but behind the scenes it was like, hey, like you're going to retire. We're actually going to fire you type of deal. I just don't know if the Pats will do that considering how close he is to breaking Don Shula's all-time win, wins record as a head coach. But I mean, I it's not beyond the realm of possibility that's, that something like that could happen in the offseason, especially given the comments that Bob Kraft said in the offseason. Let me ask you a pointed question. It's a very mm-hmm. simple question, but it's going to be a question that you might have to think about, and, and I'll fill in while you think about it. Do you think Bill Belichick can fix this? Right? It's a very simple question, but the problem is there's so many variables that point to the fact that he might not be able to. We're three years in post-Brady. The franchise is getting worse now than it was year one post-Brady. Like, there's some numbers out there, metrics, that show that Cam Newton's led offense was run at a more better efficient pace than this current Willian Patriots offense. So the question is very simple. Can Belichick fix it? And I think it's a resounding no. With his lack Mm -hmm. of ability to draft, and now it looks like, I mean, the, the draft this year, like, I know people went all crazy last year about the fact that we drafted Mac Jones and, and Christian Barmore and Reminder Stevenson. Mac Jones regressed. He might not be a top 15 guy. Christian Barmore can't play this year. He's been in, like, three games. And Reminder Stevenson might be the only piece we have on offense. So, like, I'll give him that. But couple that with the five years of drafting, like, crap before that. And then this past draft where Tyquan Thornton was our second-round wide receiver we took. And it looks like George Pickens is outperforming him. Tyquan Thornton can't give him the field. Our first-round pick was Cole Strange, who basically got benched twice this year because he was just so horrid. He was a guard that's supposed to come in and start from day one with the highest possible floor of an NFL guard, right? So the, the question is, he can't, I mean, he, can he fix it? And I think Puma, he, he truly can't. When you couple the fact that he can't draft, the free agency signings he's had are not great. He can't coach. The penalties and the mistakes, the mental mistakes are through the roof. Can he fix it? I don't think so. And honestly, I, I feel like, you know, at this point, it, you know, you're going to find yourself like the Dolphins did for, you know, eons where they weren't bad enough to get a top for, you know, top pick in the first round. Uh, but they were like good enough to just hang out in the mid teens. Like at some point, probably not next year, maybe the next two, three years, you see the New England Patriots just do what the Dolphins did and just rip it down in the studs get that first round draft pick to get the quarterback that's going to change the trajectory of the franchise 
and you know start building you know talent homegrown like the dolphins have done i mean the dolphins have done a lot of things you know wrong you know over the last 20 years but i i never thought i'd say this but like blowing it up in 2019 ripping it down the studs and trading away laramie tunsil for you know the 50,000 draft picks that we're, we're still getting from the houston texans right now and you know you got yourself too uh, and you got you know, you got this, you know, other other talent and just, you know, kind of fill in the gaps. You know, I think that might have to be the move from the Pats within the next two to three years. Like, I, I don't know. You're not going to fix this roster by just treading water in the middle of the first round. And, you know, free you haven't hit in free agency. The air quote only the only air quote. Uh, hit in the free agency uh, period where he spent like a drunken sailor two, three years ago is really Hunter Henry. No. And he hasn't really done a whole lot, maybe, but, but maybe Jay, who, Judon, else, who else has been better? Maybe Matthew Judon, but Judon's also okay, fine. Judon last year faltered down the stretch and he's doing the same as acting this year as well as Judon. So last year's schedule and this year's schedule is similar. A lot of cupcakes in the middle you can feast on and now, and then got hard last year and it's getting hard again now. And Judon is fading just like he did last year. Mm-hmm. Now, Jay, with all that being said, there is a football game to be played on Monday night. Oh my! The oh, Pats, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the ooh. Pats are a point and a half favorite on the You've road. You've got to win this game. You can't lose this game. Like I, I don't care how bad you look. Like. You've got to win this game. Like, I, I get it. Like, we have our issues. But if you lose this game, you you might as well write the season off. The season is basically over at this point. Like, it already is bad enough that we lost to Buffalo Bills on Thursday night. And if we would have won that game, our playoff chances went to 56%. If we lose that game, we're down to 23%. So, right now, we're, it's not looking good for us. If you lose this game, it's like 2%. Like, it's over. It's over at that point. Yeah, Jay, I'm going to be on the other side of the fence. I'm going Ooh. to take the point and a half uh, that the Arizona Cardinals are getting. I, you know, I, I, I've i said it. I've said it every time a running quarterback plays the New England Patriots. And this might be the one week, the one week where the Kyler Murray backyard BS scrambles is going to work in the Arizona Cardinals favor. I, I think you're going to see a heavy dose of Kyler Murray running around with the football, maybe by play design, maybe by the fact that he might be running for his life because of the the pressure from the front four of the New England Patriots. But I just think he's going to be able to run the ball. He's going to run and gun. He'll be able to make some off-script plays here and there. Uh, but I think the Cardinals are going to do enough to win this game outright. And the the matchup predictor on ESPN that I'm looking at here, the the uh, the Pats have a 35 and a half percent chance of winning this game outright. Oh yeah, so I mean that that's absolutely crazy. Like if they somehow end up losing this game, Puma on Thursday night on, on Monday night, dude, just like. Just fire, fire in Boston. Like everything's gonna be just melting to the ground. It's just far, five alarm fire everywhere. It's gonna be that SpongeBob gif of him trying to blow out the whole city on fire. That's basically what it's gonna be. Yep, yep. No, I think uh, I, I'm sorry. We got a little showdown. Heads up between you and I. I'm taking the cards. Let's All go. right. Okay. All right. All right, Puma. Last topic I want to hit on today before we get out of here is the college football playoffs. I know you're fairly new to college football, but it seems like you're really dabbling your toe into it. You seem like you're enjoying some of it. Um, how, how, before we even get to all of the college football stuff, have you enjoyed the football season when it comes to college football? Uh, yes. From watching the games, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the environment from a betting perspective. <laughs> I have not. It has been. Last week was 
absolutely brutal, and that also carried into the NFL, and I'll get to my best bets later. But, uh, I mean, college football-wise, it was great. And, you know, honestly, Jay, I, I think the game of the weekend from the, the conference championship weekend was, you know, TCU-Kansas State. I mean, mm-hmm. that game was down great to the game. wire. It went it went to overtime. I mean, there were gutsy plays on all sides of the football. Um, Deuce Vaughn is going to be a very dynamic running back going into the NFL out of Kansas State. Um, I don't know like- if he's... You know, I don't know if he's draft eligible uh, this season, but whenever he gets there, I mean, definitely someone to watch in a PPR league. I mean, they had the dude lined up wide, not like just in the slot, Jay, like wide against TCU in Jerry World. And I mean, that dude can run routes and he was burning people. And I get it. It's the Big 12 defense is optional. But like having a running back that can do that especially in today's game in the NFL where it's all about space and, you know, getting dynamic. I mean, that is definitely a playmaker to have. But, I mean, you, my, my two big takeaways is, man, you want to talk about how far the mighty have fallen over a short period of time in USC. I mean, I thought they were going to roll against Utah in the uh, Pac-12 championship, and they just absolutely got boat raced after the first quarter. Uh, where I think, you know, Utah scored like 30 unanswered points. Caleb Williams got hurt. And I, I also thought it was kind of fitting, you know, Caleb Williams has, you know, F Utah painted on his oh, fingernails man. and Utah just dropped him like a like third period <laughs> French. I thought it was great. Uh, but, you know, the stress of the playoff and, you know, who's going to get in? Is a one-loss team better than this two-loss team? And, you know, our, our group chat was very lively about – TCU getting in oh, over yes. you know stupid. the likes so of of Alabama and it's like you know TCU should be in TCU should be in and here's my thing this is be kind of the hill I'm gonna die on and you know Jay I, I mean no disrespect to Ohio State but like I don't feel like a, a team should be penalized for playing an extra game in a like the conference weekend and a team that is sitting at home benefiting from it you know what i mean like i get with how the fat how bad of a fashion usc lost and the you know I mean, the tackling was a joke uh i understand why ohio state got moved into number four i completely understand that but the mental gymnastics people were doing to justify a two loss alabama team <laughs> over tcu was the most mind-boggling experience I had all weekend. And it got to the point where, you know, myself, my wife, my stepson, we're going down to New York City and we're on, you know, the Metro North going to Grand Central and it's around 12 noon. I'm live streaming the, you know, the college selection thing to see where TCU is because I was losing my mind the night before where you have Nick Saban, you know, pretty much sucking the ass out of the entire media, you know, conundrum, (laughs) trying to campaign like he's running for office as to why Alabama needs to be in the playoff as a two-loss team. And he was citing things like the point spread, and, you know, being a favorite in all of his games. And it's like, Nick, you would crucify, crucify anybody in a, in a presser that brought up the point spread or how much of a favorite you were in, in, a, in, in, a, in, a, in a college game. You just absolutely eviscerate these people in a press conference. And now you're citing that as a reason why, as to why you should be in as a two-loss team. Which, by the way, Jay, by the way, all those times that they were favorites, 
Um, they did not cover against Texas. They barely beat Texas by the skin of their teeth, and it took Quinn Ewers to be knocked out of that game in order for them to win. Uh, they lost to Tennessee, and then they, you know, uh, they lost to, to LSU, LSU mm-hmm. which, which you know, that makes that makes things even worse because those two teams, you know, they they got you know they got blown out by Georgia and South Carolina. So like all of those things combined, like it was. Just so bad and so you know mind-boggling the arguments that this man was making with that shitty ass red blazer he had on when i found out that he did not make the top five the, the college football playoff my wife and my stepson could have thrown me off of one vanderbilt place and i would have died a happy man not knowing that guy didn't get in the playoff it's so funny puma that, that you know we're having this conversation now because a lot of this conversation comes down to, and the, the playoff committee does this on purpose because they want to obviously generate a reaction for me and you and generate conversation for the sport. But there's a difference between the best resume and the better team. And you cannot tell me, you cannot tell me that Alabama losing on the last play to both Tennessee and the last place to LSU doesn't condone that they're a better team than a very above-average TCU team out of a very average Big 12. Like, the, the, the competition you play in the Big 10 and the SEC, the Power 2 conferences, is is miles, miles ahead of what Pac-12, Big 12, all that is. And while I'm a big fan of Max Duggan, and the kid has a great story, and I'm glad he got in, I think the committee got it wrong. Alabama would... Let me ask you this. Alabama TCU plays... What is it? 24-point win? 21-point win? Those kids from Alabama would steamroll TCU. They would use TCU as tackling dummies for three whole quarters. And then the fourth quarter, they'll just give up and just, like, be on the sideline. You feel me? Like, that's that's what the difference is in disparity for talent. Same thing might happen with Michigan. I think Michigan's going to actually win by 14 points fairly easily, fairly, I would say, easy win uh, over TCU. So, you know, it all really comes down to how you view college football, whether you view it as the best resume or the better team. I'm going with the best resume because <laughs> – and, and and if that's the case – I mean, honestly, Jay, like they won by – they they you know, they lost by the one play – uh, you know, against some of these teams, but like some of these teams that like they, you know, they blown out. Like, I mean, you know, they got to, they lost to LSU, but then LSU gets demoed know, yeah, by Georgia, bad. Bad and then Tennessee, they, they, you know, Tennessee ekes out a win, but then Tennessee gets absolutely mm-hmm. destroyed by Spencer Rattler, who I honestly forgot he was playing mm-hmm. this season with South with South Carolina. I mean, it, that makes those those moments worse. Like, I, I don't think that enhances their resume here. Uh, I, I think it's all it's it's about the resume, uh, you know. This this TCU team has been in it every every game. I mean, they they have fought tooth and nail uh, throughout every game this season. And you know, I think them losing in overtime uh, by one score, or you know, by a field goal, which honestly, I think you know that Max Duggan touchdown was a touchdown by the letter of the law. That's a touchdown, but that's a debate for another day. But I think like them going into overtime losing by a field goal is you know better enhance their resume more than the Alabama name and you know the you know the how good of the you know the team is and you know at, at this point like I I just don't see any logical reason as to why 
they would be in there. And I, I think, you know, honestly, this is why you're going to have expansion within the next year or two. Oh, you're going to have oh, 12 oh, teams because you don't have to deal fun. with this. You don't have to deal with this nonsense. But I think Nick Saban was campaigning as hard as he did because he never won a championship with Bryce Young. The window, this was their championship window because they're not going to get a lot of people back from the draft. And, I mean, they're losing more players in the transfer portal right now than they are gaining right now. So, yeah, Nick Saban knew the writing was on the wall. Like, if they didn't get in the playoff, the gig, the jig is up. And there's been a lot of things about maybe Nick Saban's retiring this se- at the end of the year. I don't know, man. With how hard he was campaigning with that shitty-ass red blazer and that shit-eating grin, like I said at the top, sucking the ass out of the media, uh, yeah, I think there might be some credence to that. He knew the writing. The, the, if they didn't get in, it's over. You really don't like Nick Saban, huh? <laughs> it's all, Jay, it's all that, it, it's not, what, what, what chapped me so bad was the amount of campaigning he was doing, considering his relationship he has with the media. And I remember at one point this season, I think, uh, I think it was the CBS game. I think it was the SEC game of the week. It might have even been the, when was it? When did Bryce Young get hurt with the shoulder? Um, Is that against a I believe so. Or Arkansas. Yes. No, Arkansas. So. Yeah. yeah, Arkansas. You're right, Arkansas. Yep, yep. Yeah, he, he got hurt going into halftime. And the the, uh, the field reporter, I forgot her name. She was just doing her job, just asking for, like, an update on Bryce Young. And he just, like, went off the reservation and just started, like, mm-hmm. snapping and, like, going and snapping into a Slim Jim. And, and the only thing I can compare it to is, like, Bill Belichick, Mr. We're on to Cincinnati. Can you imagine him, like, having to just – suck the ass out of the media that he just does not want to give anything to Mm -hmm. to try to justify getting into the playoff like it's just like the two-facedness of this dude to try to to get to the you know a means to an end it's like no i have become a tcu fan out of spite i might take the nine and a half points against against michigan here i don't i don't don't care no, I'm gonna. I, I might do it because the, the TCU team is hung tight in every single game they've played this year. Max Duggan's got some moxie to him, and I I, I think uh, I think TCU's gonna have a little bit of an edge here. So Puma, I you're get, gonna, give me the TCU with a nine and a half. I don't care. Damn Puma. the torpedoes, Jay. Puma. Saturday, December thirty first at four p.m. when Michigan takes on TCU, you're gonna see a varsity team taking on a JV squad. You're going to see the difference. You're going to see the size and speed. And you're like, oh, my God. What the hell is that? And then and then you'll tune in at 8 p.m. at night. You're going to see Georgia versus Ohio State. And you're going to see Georgia beat Ohio State by 35 points. You're going to see the discrepancy. <laughs> you're going to see the discrepancy between the uh, disparity between the Big 12 and the Big 10. And then you'll see how the Big 10 and the SEC fare. Because the SEC obviously has a little bit of a higher threshold with athlete and talent than, than the Big 10. So I, I will say this, Puma. That Ohio State-Georgia game, obviously I'm a Buckeye fan. I'm not looking forward to that night. That's gonna be a bad night. I'm not looking night. forward to that. <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be the night that I had to watch Clemson demolish Ohio State back in 2017, and I was stuck in a Vermont ski house with Ian Foley, and I couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> I couldn't get away from him. It was one of the worst. I was out. We're gonna beat 31-0, and he was being Ian. So it was there was snow on the road. I couldn't come back to Connecticut. So. 
I just had to sit there and take it. It was one of the worst experiences of my night, of my life, and I think this is going to be just as bad because Georgia is just so much better than than Ohio State. And on top of that, the coaching, I mean, Kirby Smart's a hell of a coach. He'll coach circles about Ryan Day. And on top of that, CJ Stroud, I mean, you know how I feel about him. Big gun, Jay Collar-esque, nothing inside. We're not going to win this game. It's going to be it's going to be an interesting matchup. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be good. I'm just, you know, I, I, I sleep well at night, Jay. Knowing that Nick Saban, with all that politicking, did not get into the college playoff. Oh, man. You should have seen me fist pumping on that train. The the 10, the 1040, the, uh, what time was it? The 1058 yeah. from, uh, from Stam- from uh, Stratford down to uh, Grand Central. Oh, man. I had a smile from ear to ear. Like I said, my wife and my stepson could have thrown me off of the uh, observatory platform at one Vanderbilt, and uh, I would have been smiling on the way down because knowing that that dude did not make the playoff. (laughs) Uh, Filled my heart with joy. (laughs) Uh, All right, we'll talk about more about this. We've still got a couple weeks before this uh, this happens, but you give me an overall impression of the college football uh, playoffs. You've got those four teams getting in. Uh, looks like you're leading TCU over Michigan, and who do you think in that uh, Ohio State uh, Georgia game? Uh, Georgia's gonna demo. Them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And then how about that? Uh, so you, you thinking Georgia versus TCU in the finals? Oh yeah, just out of spite, just to <laughs> shove it up Nick Saban's ass. Uh, just to shove. <laughs> all right. Okay. Sounds good. All right, brother man. Well, listen, that's all I really got. Do you want to plug it up and get out of here? Yeah, I got. I got to hit my best bets real quick, real quick. Oh, uh, so, oh. about that. I'm sorry. Best bets it's all good. Club. It's all good. It's so last week it was brutal for both the NFL and college, but we're gonna get right back on track here. I got a uh, back to the teaser market. I got the uh, Baltimore Ravens and the Minnesota Vikings in a uh, six point teaser here. I am teasing the Baltimore Ravens with Brett Hundley, uh, not Brett Hundley, uh, Snoop Hundley. Uh, you know, teasing them up from plus two and a half to plus eight and a half against. The Pittsburgh Steelers, it's a low total. I think they're going to keep it close, even with Humley under center. And then the Minnesota Vikings are a two-point underdog on the road against Detroit. Uh, I am teasing them up to plus eight and a half as well, too. I think this is going to be a high-scoring game, but I definitely think the Vikings keep it within eight points here. I'm laying six and a half with the Eagles against the Giants. I also have Baltimore plus three in a separate bet here. I have a lot of exposure to the Ravens now I come to think of it. Uh, The Dolphins laying three and a half points against the Chargers. San Francisco laying three and a half against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know Tampa, you know, they won in walk-off fashion in typical Tom Brady-esque fashion, but let's just be real here. For 55 minutes, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers look god-awful. So I, I, I know a win is a win. They definitely had to get that to stay, you know, stay in the lead in a god-awful NFC South. But I think that defensive line for the 49ers is going to give Tampa Bay uh, a lot of issues. And I heard the stat from Tyler Sullivan of CBS that since 2000, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the worst team in third and long situations. So essentially third, or, third and nine or more. They are the worst team in the league when it comes to third and long situations. I think this pass rush for San Francisco is going to get home against a very, very, very god-awful offensive line for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Jay... I had to change some things up because I'm I'm on a bit of a cold streak. I got to shake up, shake off the loss, and I I got to get dynamic here. I got a three-team money line parlay at plus two oh nine odds. I got the uh, I got the Dolphins winning outright against the Chargers. I got the you know, the Las Vegas Raiders tomorrow night against the uh, L.A. Rams. I have 
Raiders winning outright. And I got the Cincinnati Bengals, who Joe Burrow is 0-4 during his entire career. Yep. Uh, Hasn't been the Browns so ever. He has not beaten the Browns. I have the, the Bengals writing that ship and putting a W in that column. So I have the Dolphins, Raiders, Bengals, three-team money line parlay at plus 209 odds. We are going to write this ship. Let's go. Joe Burrow can be undefeated against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Cannot beat Jacoby Bursett. <laughs> nope. Well, that's going to change. He's going to beat Deshaun Watson, who had about two years worth of rest on him when uh, he played against his old team in the Houston Texans. Ooh, he looked uh, that's all got. Didn't he? he looked super bad. Oh, he looked real bad. Mm-hmm. He looked bad. All right, let's plug it up and get out of here, bro. All right, this episode of the pod, previous episodes of the podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, YouTube. Uh, definitely be sure to hit the little bell button uh, in on the uh, YouTube feed, our YouTube channel. You'll be notified when the latest video drops for your listening and viewing pleasure. Uh, Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a five-star review. Google Podcasts, be sure to leave a five-star review as well, too. Social media, Facebook and Instagram, Pro Football Radio Podcast. The Twitter page, at PFR Podcast. I'm on Twitter, Brando underscore Puma, and Jay Chima, the captain of the ship on the ones and the twos, is at Jay Chima. Like, subscribe, download, share, uh, hit us up on the DMs and the social media. We're happy to talk anything uh, football, sports betting, college, you know, you name it. We'll hit, we'll chat about it. And uh, hopefully, you enjoy this episode. That's all I got. All right, all right. We'll talk to you guys next week. Via con Dios. <laughs>